Let's turn to 1 Samuel 18 in our Bibles. We're moving our way through 1 Samuel here. David has just dealt with Goliath, and Goliath has no head and a headache. David's carrying around his trophy. See you, buddy. He wants to stay. He's like, that guy's a good preacher. I want to stay. So Goliath is down. David's walking around with his trophy. People are beginning to notice him. And this chapter here, chapter 18, is kind of a chapter that solidifies a lot of the relationships that David has in there. They're important. His relationship with Jonathan, his relationship with Saul, his relationship with one of uh, Saul's daughters as he's about to become a married man. This chapter is very uh, instrumental in bridging the gap there and seeing how David is being knit in and he's, being, he's ascending to the throne as Saul is coming unglued and falling away. Uh, just a minute, I'm going to have Sister Kim read you the chapter here, but let's thank God for the word and bless it. Father, we thank you for the word this morning, and Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would allow us to understand and to drink in all these truths, Lord God. Encourage us and strengthen us and give us wisdom, Lord God, on how to conduct ourselves uh, Father, everything that we learn from David and his humble spirit, and Father, everything we learn from this chapter this morning, let it resonate in our hearts and let us uh, carry it with us till we meet you face to face. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Sister Kim, chapter 18. Eighteen. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan then stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out whenever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Verse 10. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand, as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as his commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles." For Saul thought, my hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. 
But David said to Saul, Who am I, and what is my life, or my father's family in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law? So it came about at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the, the Mahotholite, for a wife. Verse 20. Now, now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. When they told Saul, the thing was agreeable to him. Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may become a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David, for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, speak to David secretly, saying, behold, the king delights in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servant spoke these words to David, but David said, is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? The servants of Saul reported to him according to these words which David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law. Before the days had expired, David rose up and went, he and his men, and struck down 200 men among the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins and gave them in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul gave him Michael as his daughter for a wife. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to the battle, and it happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. Powerful situations going on for David here. He's ascending. Saul's coming unglued, and we see the relationships that are so important. The first one we see here is that David has a relationship with Jonathan, Saul's son. Now, Understand, when they saw each other and met each other, something touched off in them and they were knit together like brothers. And uh, maybe you've experienced it in life when you meet someone and somehow, some way, you feel like you've known them all your life and you just click. Have you ever had a friend like that? Anyone ever had a friend? <laughs> Seen pictures, heard stories. And you, you meet someone and it's just like instantly you like them and instantly you click with them. Well, that was Jonathan and David. And you say, well, that's nice. What's the big deal? The big deal is this. Jonathan loved David at his own cost. Why? Because Jonathan was next in line for the throne. So when Saul was gone and he was unraveling quickly, Jonathan would be the next king. And he, 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 he must realize as an intelligent young man that David being so popular with the people and killing this giant all by himself and, and being revered by the military, that he was a very existential threat to the throne that somehow, some way, Jonathan would be stepped over and David would be king. And we're going to see something that Jonathan has integrity of heart and he, he doesn't consider all that, but he realizes that, you know, David is a special guy and God's got his hand on him and they click and they're two young men and they're young and they're warriors and they're gutsy and they both have done exploits for the kingdom of God. They're confident and they're accomplished and, you know, both of them have to deal with Saul. So they have a lot in common and Jonathan loves him and he doesn't he doesn't mind seeing David 
reach his potential. He doesn't see him as a threat like his father does. My, my, Jonathan is much more humble than Saul. He's humble like David. He has a pure heart and he has a gentle spirit. And we see that in him. And that's why they connect together. Now in verse two, uh, Saul makes a decision here and he decides to keep David close to him. Remember, David was playing the harp for him and somehow he gets sent back and forth between the, the court of the king and his father. And when David kills Goliath, Saul has amnesia and doesn't remember who he is. Well, this time Saul has no choice but to keep him close because now David has the eye of the people and the heart of the people. It says in verse two that he took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. And so now there's a situation where David was overlooked, but now he can't be ignored anymore. And realize this is God establishing him because he's positioning him to rule over the nation. Now, uh, the next verses here, three and four, Jonathan and David affirm their friendship by actually making a covenant. It says what? Jonathan with David made a covenant with himself. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave David his armor his, uh, his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, I want you to see this here. Covenant is very important. Us New Testament Christians don't pay attention to covenant as much, although we're under the new and the better covenant. We're just excited to be saved and not going to hell. Amen. In the Old Testament, they understood covenant. It was an absolute holy agreement that was between God and man or man and man. But when you made a covenant, it was a serious thing. You see this covenant here, what's going on? Jonathan, next in line for the throne, takes his royal armor off, takes his sword, takes all of his, you know, the things that make him next in line, and he puts them on David. This is very significant here. You say, what's this all about? This is Jonathan saying, basically by this action saying, look, David, I see God's hand on your life. I realize the call on your life. I see your popularity with the people and I understand what's happening here. And not only am I okay with it, but I'm affirming it and I won't stand in the way of God's will for Israel and for your life. Wow. Wow. That is such a level of humility here that probably most of us can't even grasp it. In, the, in history, people don't step aside when they're next in line for the throne. If you study history at all, you realize that the secession to thrones is usually a bloody affair. People will kill their own children. They'll, they'll kill their own relatives. What? To take the throne. Here's a man who's so humble that he just abdicates it and says, I'm not going to get in the way of God's call on your life. A powerful powerful thing. A great example of humility to us. Jonathan's gesture here shows us how we should honor the call of God and the anointing of God and, and the purpose of God more than our own desires or more than our own uh, accomplishments or achievements in life. This is a humble man and his actions should speak to all of us. It's funny when I talk about humility, everybody gets quiet. Humility is a good thing. Arrogant people stink. Nobody likes an arrogant person, right? A humble person, I mean, even if they're annoying, you love being around them. So humility is a good thing. We should reach for it. Here's Jonathan, a perfect demonstration of it. Saul uses David in many ways in verse five. Saul has, uh, you know, this issue with David now is brewing here, but he begins to use him and plug him in. It says in verse five, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servant. Everybody's happy with David. 
Everybody's excited about him. Saul is using him in many different venues and he's being successful and accepted in all of them. The people accept David's leadership uh, on a level that, you know, this guy is a giant slayer. He's killed Goliath. He was the only one who was able to step up and do it. So he has the respect of the nation and the military and this is gonna become a problem for a jealous king. Now verse six and seven show us that yes, David was a humble guy and he wouldn't celebrate himself or he wouldn't promote himself, but others did it for him and they created problems for David. You know, it's, it's good for us to be humble and talk about humility, but we live in a generation of self-promoters. And it's way too quiet on Sunday morning. Are you all here this morning? Amen? We live in a generation that, you know, they want attention and people will use social media and all these outlets to get attention, to lift themselves up, to puff up their achievements, to, to get recognition, to display themselves. And you know what? It's not a good thing. Promotion comes from the Lord. Amen. Too many people try to elevate themselves and promote themselves and it's really a, a sign of the, the rotten, the moral rot of our generation that everybody wants to be a household name. What happened to Humility. Even when I talk about it in church, you know, it's like, let's move on to the next point. God help us to be humble. You know, here's David, not a self-promoter. He's not lifting himself up. He's not bragging about all the things he did. But in verse six and seven, some other people do it for him. It says here, it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. Verse seven, the women sang as they played, and they said, Saul has slayed his thousands, and David his 10,000. So let's just stop right there and look at that. As I read that, I begin to get a tension headache. For David, you see, you see me grab my head because here's David and he's trying to stay humble and he's trying not to infuriate his boss, the jealous king, but the people come out and do it for him. Here comes the army and they're returning and they've had a great victory. And you know, they're dancing and singing and making music and the, the ladies are singing impromptu songs of valor. And here's a catchy little number. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Sound like a country song? You know, and here they are, they're singing, and, they're, and, and I could just feel David like, no, what are you doing? You know, he, he has no heart to puff himself up. He doesn't see himself as anything special. He won't, he won't advertise himself, but they do it for him. And the accolades here definitely are gonna catch the attention of the king. In verse eight, it's no surprise, Saul doesn't like that song. It's not on his iPod, he's not humming it. As he's walking around, David's killed his turn. No, no, Saul does not like it. And, you know, he's got issues. He's a jealous guy. And look what he says in verse 8. You know, basically the, the people love him and all this stuff. And he says, what more can he have but the kingdom? Wow. Now, remember, Saul was the people's choice. God didn't choose him. The people chose him. Why? Because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a big, strong, charismatic, good-looking guy. And the people said, oh, yeah, we want him to be king. He didn't have the character to be king, but the people didn't care about his heart. They cared about his looks. Now, all Saul cared about was that the people revered him and that the people liked him. 
And that was his only concern to the point where he didn't obey God because he wanted to make the people happy instead of God. Now he's got this young David guy coming in here with Goliath's head and all the victory and all the accolades of the people and they're singing about him. So the people have passed over Saul and they are now celebrating David more than Saul. This is a problem. You and I should stay humble and when we are in positions of service and we're under certain leadership, we should not try and upstage leadership. You know, we're going to see that David understands this principle. Some people don't. Joseph didn't understand that. Joseph had a dream, told everybody, and got himself thrown in a pit. David is going to behave wisely, but, you know, they're out there singing this song, and Saul is angry. You know, uh, he has lost the favor of the people. They are now celebrating David more than they're celebrating him. In verse 9, the foolish accolades inflame Saul's pride. Now he's jealous, and look what it says in verse 9. Not only is he jealous of David, but it says, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. So Saul didn't take it as David's a humble guy and these, these people are just singing some songs and it's a happy day. No, he's like, this guy wants my throne. This guy wants my spot. This guy has the favor of the people and now he's suspicious of David even though David didn't do anything wrong. Have you ever been in a position where you did the right things, you didn't purposely violate anybody, yet somehow, some way, you, you caught the ire of someone and now they had it in for you? Yeah. It's not a fun spot to be. You know, some of the young people are like, everybody likes me. Wait, give it some time. Give it some time. You know, your mama will always love you, but not everybody's going to like you. And, you know, David's in a spot now where here the king has got it out for him. He's on the king's bad boy list. And so from this moment forward, you know, and he, he didn't puff himself up, but others did. And Saul did not like it. I want to say one thing about, this chapter is a lot about relationships. I want to say one thing about relationships before we move on to verse 10 and 11. Relationships can start off exciting and positive, and in a moment, they can turn on a dime and get ugly. And you say, well, Pastor, why do you got to talk about stuff like that in church? Can't we just talk about happy, clappy stuff that gives us goosebumps? <laughs> No, I got to be honest with you about human nature. You can start off in a relationship and it's exciting and it's good and it's productive and it's healthy and seemingly on a dime, that could turn around and it can turn into an ugly, destructive, dangerous thing. In fact, some of you have been in relationships. Some of you have been in ones that have turned. I, I've been around a long time. I've seen marriages that were healthy get unhealthy and then get ugly. I've been in family court. I've heard, you know, so, some of the darkest things. And these were loving relationships that came unglued. And now they were no longer beautiful, but they were ugly. You say, why does that happen? It happens when one or both of the people in the relationship have serious character flaws or big unresolved issues. Listen to me. If you have known character flaws, you better be working on them. Because if you're not working on them, they're working against you. And at the most inopportune time, they can destroy your relationships. If you have character flaws and big issues that are unresolved, you better be working on them. Because your enemy knows about them and he's waiting to use them against you. This is from 30 plus years of watching relationships explode and fragment. Understand, Saul had some character flaws and they were unaddressed. He had some big unresolved issues and they were unaddressed. And now on a dime, he went from loving David to hating David, from wanting to see him promoted to plotting his death. Human relationships 
are volatile. Never put much stock in what people think of you. Saul was all about what the people think of me. Oh, they love me. Well, one day they love you and one day they don't. One day you're the hero, the next day you're the goat. Jesus came in and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then in the, in the next turn of events, that same crowd was, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Do you see the fickleness of the crowd? Only a fool puts his stock in the opinions of man. And I encourage you, it matters much more what the Lord thinks about you and I than what people think of us. As a pastor, you learn this right away. I've had people who said, oh, you're the best pastor. I'll never leave you, only to turn around within weeks and try and slip my throat and assassinate me. You think that's funny? <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even being dramatic here. You know, people will turn on you. Your closest will turn on you. And I'm not trying to be, you know, Debbie Downer this morning. I'm just telling you the truth about human nature. Only a fool puts stock in what other people think of him because it can turn on a dime. Verses 10 and 11, that evil spirit that God sent to afflict Saul, it continues to afflict him. Why? Because his relationship with God is fractured and nowhere in the text or the scripture does it show that Saul tries to rectify his relationship with God. So these demons torment Saul, and here's Saul, you know, he's being tormented. David's there playing the harp, trying to soothe him, trying to give him peace. And suddenly, something happens for the first time. Saul becomes openly violent towards David. He sees David playing the harp, and he's watching him with a javelin in his hand. Here's a free piece of advice. <laughs> Don't play music for people who have a javelin in their hand. They might not like your song. Well, he's eyeballing David, and he thinks it's a good idea to take that javelin and try and pin him to the wall. And he's openly violent against him. Now, the text tells us that two times David had to escape from these violent assaults as, as Saul openly tries to kill him while he's tormented by these spirits. Uh, verse 12 is very interesting. Uh, we get a, a look into Saul's situation here, and it says this, Now Saul was afraid of David. For the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Do you see that? Saul should have feared the Lord, but instead he feared a man. Why did he fear a man? Because he esteemed the opinions of man more than he did the opinion of the Lord. And instead of getting right with God, he gets afraid of a man who was going to take his place. And so <clears throat> he's afraid of him. And he recognizes that God has withdrawn himself from him and he is now with David and he understands. He's jealous of the spiritual condition of David. What a hard place for David to be. Verses 13 through 16, David is sent out of Saul's presence. So there's a decision made. Saul's like, you know, he understands I'm gonna kill this guy if he doesn't get out of my face. And I need to get him out of here because if I do kill him, the people are not going to be happy with that. See the motivator for Saul? I always want you to see that. The only reason he won't touch David himself is because he knows the people would be furious because they love David. 
And they probably love David more than they love Saul at this point. So he's like, I got to get him out of here. So he sends him out and he makes him a commander over the thousand. So there again, it's a good situation. David, you know, can stop playing music and dodging da- javelins and do, you know, what he likes to do. He's going to be among the military men. And he sends him out and verses 13 through 16 show that the people loved him and the military loved him. And it says all of Judah and all of Israel loved him and Saul's daughter loved him and Jonathan loved him and everybody loved him and Saul hated it you think all that love going around can't everybody just be happy can't we all just get along no the more that Israel loved David the more Saul hated David the more Saul tried to send David off and 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 you know have the Philistines wipe him out or put him on dangerous duty or just you know get get him in a spot where you know he can be killed the more he tried to kill him and get rid of him the more God blessed him and prospered him I want to encourage you with something. If you and I will get right with God and be aligned with God and get sin out of our lives, the blessing of God will be so powerful on our lives that it doesn't matter who in the world is against us, God will bless us and promote us and prosper us in everything we touch. You and I waste so much energy trying to impress people, it's a waste of time. Promotion doesn't come from people. Listen, uh, it's who I know and who I'm in good with and who likes me. None of it matters. I've seen people with incredible talent and incredible wealth and incredible giftings produce nothing because they look to man instead of God. The moment you and I get right with God and accept our calling and run after it with all our strength, God will begin to explode with favor in everything we touch. David is in a good place. He's away from Saul at the moment. Uh, He is being blessed. Everybody is accepting and loving and excited about him. And Saul is furious about it. In verses 17 through 19, Saul tries marrying his older daughter off to David. Merib uh, is offered to David. It doesn't work out. David is humble. He says, you know, I'm not worthy to be the king's son-in-law. Now, I'm, I'm sure there was humility in there, but there was probably a little bit of wisdom in there. Would you marry into that family? Think about it. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. Is Saul going to have a spear? Oh, you know, I don't want to come over and watch a movie with the Sauls. You know, I'm afraid that my cup of water will be poisoned. So David's not in any hurry to become the king's son-in-law because he understands proximity to the king is dangerous. Amen. Look, there's certain people you and I should avoid. Married people, don't look at each other right now. I'm not talking... I I knew it. I should stay away from me. No, but there are certain people that we should avoid because they're dangerous. Well, you say, what do you mean dangerous? No one's going to kill me. No, but spiritually, they might infect you with something that will kill you. Now it's quiet. You see, we might not be in mortal danger many times in life, so we think we're okay, but there are people that we get around that we, we are in spiritual danger with them. Why? Because they're evil, and they don't do godly things, and they don't provoke us to run after God, but they entangle us in the sin that they're entangled with. Come on, I'm preaching this morning now. You know it. You know there's some of you who escaped your crowd of friends just barely, and you might be the only one in the group that survived and has a relationship with God. The rest of them are dead. They're divorced. They're in jail. They're broken. They've got messes in their life. Some people are dangerous. 
Some people you better stay away from. They're too powerful to influence us in the wrong directions. David doesn't really want to be part of Saul's family, doesn't want to be the king's son-in-law. So he refuses and he backpedals and he, he basically says he's unworthy until Mirab is married off to somebody else. And, you know, that was, a, that was kind of a good move for him. But Saul is, you know, he's undeterred and he offers again uh, his daughter Michael to David in verses 20 through 24. Saul hears that Michael has a big old crush on David. You know, apparently, you know, he was quite the warrior. Hopefully he had put his Goliath head down so he smelled a little better. But Michael really was, you know, she loved David. And there again, while that's another sting to Saul, that his children uh, love David, who was, you know, seen as an enemy to him, uh, he decides to use that as his advantage. He wants to give Michael to David to be a stumbling back, to be a snare for him, that somehow, some way, he being the king's son-in-law would become more of a target to the Philistines now. Notice, all of these things that Saul is doing are disingenuous. They're politically motivated. They're, they're motivated for his own survival, but they're, they're not necessarily motivated by a pure heart to, to bless David. Remember, Saul said, whoever kills this Philistine gets what? That's right, one person reading the Bible here. <laughs> what did he say? He said, whoever kills this Philistine, you know, I'm gonna make him wealthy, his family's not gonna pay any taxes in Israel, and he gets to marry my daughter. You know, so now, why, why didn't that happen? I'll tell you why it didn't happen. Because Saul is one of those quintessential people who makes promises and doesn't keep them. Have you ever had people that promise you everything and if you do this, I'll do this and I'll, you know, and I'll give you this and, and when you do what you're supposed to do, they don't follow through on their end. Those are the most frustrating people to me. As a young man, I was taken advantage by so many of them that would just promise you everything. Then when you delivered, they would pretend like they never said it. Saul was, you know, he was this quintessential bad guy who just said stuff. He didn't even remember David. Who is that young man going out there to fight Goliath? Are you kidding me? He's the guy that chased the demons away for you. He's the guy who, who came to you and said, I'll take care of your giant problem. And you don't even remember who he is? A demonically a possessed and afflicted king who is so narcissistic that he can't look past his own nose. And those were his good qualities. On the other side of the coin, he was murderous and jealous and driven by an ego that was out of control. How's your ego this morning? Is it under control or is it out of control? People often think more of themselves than they ought. It's a big problem. All of us better catch a little humility or the God of heaven will humble us. Saul is out of control. David is offered Michael and the king, he again tries to refuse and say, oh, I'm not worthy, you know, I'm just poor, a poor guy. Saul says, I don't want any dowry for her. In fact, uh, how about this? The only thing I want is a hundred foreskins from the Philistines. Now, ladies, you're not gonna see a story like this in Bride Magazine. <laughs> you know, this is not romantic. This is just kind of flat out gross. But you say, what's the point of this? A hundred foreskins? I don't even want to tell you how you collect those, but uh, you know, <laughs> bring the troops and the moil. Let's go. <laughs> you know, but he's got to go out there and, I mean, what a dirty deed. And what's the point of it? The point of it is this. Saul's like, he's not going to be able to get him. They're going to kill him. 
I'm going to give him an impossible task to do. David says, I like that task. I'll take that deal. He goes out, he takes his men, and not only does he get 100, he gets 200. And he brings 200 back. Saul has got to become unglued at this part. Is nothing impossible for this guy? I give him a suicide mission. He does it in spades. He comes back and he brings me double. When God is with you, nothing is impossible. When God is with you, nothing is impossible. Now, I don't know if Michael is all excited about the dowry that got paid for her. I don't know. She might need counseling after this marriage, but... You know, David pays the price and he doubles it. And uh, Saul is, you know, verses 26 and 27, Saul has no choice but to give him that daughter and, and just hope for the worst. But he receives his dowry and David delivers it. And verses 28 and 29, David's success, it, watch how Saul reacts to David's success. Uh, everybody's excited here, but, but Saul's response is this. When Saul saw he comes back with 200, 200 foreskins. He knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, his daughter, loved him. Then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. After this last soft cell attempt to kill David, now the gloves are off and Saul is like, you are my mortal enemy. We're gonna see the escalation of violence towards David to the point where he has to flee like a hunted animal from the presence of the king. All David has done is what he's been asked to do. He's been humble. He's been righteous. He has not, not a jealous bone in his body. We're going to see his integrity continue to unfold and his humility continue to display itself. Saul sees all of this and can't rejoice in it. He sees David now as his mortal enemy. Verse 30, the chapter closes down and it says, this and it kind of encapsulizes the whole uh, view of, of what David's doing. The commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out. David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. I just want to close with this David understood God's call on his life, but there again, he refused to promote himself. And understand, we live in a generation that promotes self. And David refused to do it. He behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul. That's just not in the military sense where he had been having these stunning victories over the Philistines. Listen, the Philistines revered the name of David. They knew who took Goliath's head off. They knew when they squared up for a battle and they drew the lines, who was the commander of that unit? They would say, oh my goodness, it's David, we're done. I mean, just his name. The enemy respected him more than Saul did. And so he behaved wisely. What does that mean? Even though he knew God had called him and Samuel had anointed him and he was destined to be the next king, he kept his mouth closed and he didn't flaunt his advantages and his achievements and his abilities so as to make those around him despise him. Have you ever met somebody that had everything going for them and they, all they could do was let you know about it? Come on, I'm this and I'm that and I've done this. I've heard preachers go, you know, we were talking about missions. I've heard preachers go out on the mission field and come back and give testimonies, you know, to other preachers. You would think that they were Jesus themselves. I healed people and I did this and I preached to a million people and I and I and I and I and, I, and I'm like. <laughs> God heals people. God saves people. 
God does the work. See, you and I get to participate and do our part. Well, we better not puff ourselves up to try and take the glory. Because I'm telling you, nothing shuts the anointing off faster than pride. Saul could not control himself, but David could. We're going to see David over and over again restrain himself and let the Lord promote him and put him on that throne. He never draws the sword and puts himself there. Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by it. He didn't say you couldn't use a sword. He told us not to live by it. David was a mighty warrior, but he would not use his sword to advance himself. He was humble and he had self-control and everyone loved him. And the more that God blessed him and used him, the more the people loved him and the more Saul hated him. And this is all about to come to a climax as the chapter ends. Let's bow our heads. Father, this morning we thank you for your word and we thank you for the lessons we can learn. What a great contrast we we see here to compare Saul and David to see the difference in their heart the 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 fruit of what pride produces and the fruit of what humility produces neither of them perfect men but Lord God even in their flaws one will come to you in brokenness and the other will harden his heart and dig in deeper father help us to be more like David than Saul Help us to stay humble. Help us not to think too much of ourselves. Help us not to reach for the glory and try and steal it for ourselves. God, in a generation that's proud and and are self-promoters and want all the attention on self, Father, help us to, to, to shift the attention off of us and to put it on Jesus. Because it's only until Jesus can shine through us that we will affect others for eternity and make a difference in the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning. Hallelujah.